In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For our Lenten midweek series this year, we are considering the means of grace. As it is printed for you to read on the cover of our worship folder, we confess in the Lutheran confessions that God is superabundantly rich and liberal in his grace and goodness. For this reason, the good news which he commanded to be preached to all nations does not give counsel and aid against sin in only one way, but in several. Last week, we considered our need to hear the gospel, which comes to us through the public preaching. This week, we consider our need for baptism. We notice, of course, that the two cannot be separated. Jesus commanded the apostles to make disciples of all nations by means of baptizing all nations and by means of teaching all nations. Baptizing and teaching go together. All people of all nations need both because all people of all nations are conceived and born as enemies of God in need of salvation. As we just chanted from Psalm 51, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. This is our natural condition. But towards those who were by nature foolish, disobedient, and deceived, God has revealed his kindness and love toward man. He did so by sending his Son to save us, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Or what contribution... Did any of us or did any man have in, make, in causing God to become man? None. So what contribution must we make to make ourselves heirs of heaven? None. Thank God, none. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, we are justified by God's grace and made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The hope we have as adults is the same hope our children have as infants. We are not saved because of our works, so we do not wait for children to work anything, either good or evil, before we bring them to receive the promise of Jesus. Indeed, Jesus sternly tells us not to forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Sometimes one must be baptized before he is taught. Sometimes one must be taught before he is baptized. God uses human language to work faith in our hearts. God reveals his grace by proclaiming his goodwill towards sinners. We call this preaching. God also uses water to seal and affirm his grace and favor. We call this baptism. For one who does not yet know how to understand human language, baptism is needed, because God's promise and salvation are needed. Children should be baptized into the faith that they will thereafter be taught. It is wrong to baptize a baby if there is no intention to bring that baby to learn what his baptism gave him. For one who does understand human language, however, instruction in the Christian faith is needed before baptism. Such a one must be taught before he is baptized what his baptism is giving him. So which is more important, preaching 
or baptism? What is more important, the water or the word? These are not honest questions. Jesus has joined his command and promise to the water of holy baptism. But which is more important, Jesus' divine nature or his human nature? Is he not our mediator because he is both God and man? Or what is more important, the head or the body? Jesus is our head. He joined our humanity to redeem us and to be the savior of his body. He is one flesh with his bride. He lived and died and rose again to remain united with her, with us, forever. By joining our human nature, the Son of God made the question a non-question. But what is more important, who Jesus is or what Jesus did? What is more important, that Jesus is eternally begotten of the Father or that Jesus does all that the Father gave him to do? What non-questions? These questions miss the point. This is what the word sin means. It means to miss the mark. Questions like these are sinful questions. Which is more important, preaching or baptism? Jesus, who saves us from our sin, saves us from such questions. We are born again by water and the word. The means by which God either begins saving faith, as in the case of babies and very young children, or else affirms and seals saving faith in our hearts, as in the case of older kids and adults. The means is the sacrament of holy baptism instituted by Christ himself. It is a means of grace. God has joined the water and the word together. He joins the water and the word together and tells us not to separate them. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be damned. He who does not believe is he who separates Christ's divine and human natures. He who does not believe is he who separates Christ, the head, from his beloved body, and Christ, the Savior, from his holy Christian church. He who does not believe separates who God is from what God has done to save us. Who is God? He is the God who saves he is the Lord, our Savior. We know him in Christ. Jesus means the Lord saves. We don't separate what God has joined together. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. We believe God when he tells us that our baptism washes our sins away, gives us new birth, and bestows eternal life in Christ, his Son. We believe his word. He who believes is baptized. He who does not believe separates himself from the inheritance that God gives his children. He who does not believe separates himself from his baptism by refusing to hear God's word and keep it. Baptism and preaching go together. It is very dangerous indeed to make some crass distinct division between faith and baptism. What a church teaches about what baptism does will tell you everything you need to know about that church's understanding of what preaching is supposed to do. This is a good rule of thumb and is worth putting to the test. 
what a church teaches about the power and purpose of baptism reveals what that same church teaches about the power and purpose of preaching. Is your baptism an external and visible sign of an internal spiritual reality? This is what the Baptists and most run-of-the-mill Protestants teach. Well, listen to their preaching. What is the goal of preaching? Is it to bestow upon the hearer the forgiveness of sins? Surely the forgiveness of sins is preached. The gospel is not usually entirely absent from these churches. Thank God there are Christians there. But if you listen, you will certainly discover that this is not the chief purpose of their proclamation, nor even what you can always expect to hear. No, the purpose of preaching mirrors the purpose of baptism. In churches that deny the power and purpose of baptism, well, the purpose of preaching is to elicit outward expression of your internal faith. It is not necessarily to strengthen your faith in God's grace, but to bring the already present faith to expression. It is to persuade you to live out your faith and to show it. Just as baptism only serves for them as an external sign of what is already within you, so preaching serves to evoke from you some evidence that you are indeed a true believer. Often the style, as they call it, of worship bears this out and shows that it is true. I mean, after all, you do believe, right? Why use up precious time in preaching to convert you? You're already converted. The primary task of preaching then becomes to rile up and excite and fan to flame the already present commitment of believers. Beware of this. You need what your baptism gives you. You need it every day. You need what the gospel teaches you. You need it every day. The gospel is not a message that reminds you of what is in your heart. The law does that. The commands of God that require holiness, righteousness, and perfect love do that. Your heart is where sin is conceived. No, the gospel is a message of your loving God who puts something into your heart, something to believe. He pours his grace into your heart. He pours peace and comfort into your heart on account of him who was conceived and born without sin, who lived a holy life and bore all sin to reconcile you to our Father in heaven. And he does this through the gospel. Baptism is the gospel. And what baptism is and does teaches and reminds you every day what you must always remember about the gospel. It makes no demands. It gives. It renews. It bestows on sinners who have no life within. It bestows the life that comes from without. From outside of us. Where Christ bore all wrath for us on the cross. From outside of us. 
For the Father raised him from the dead, establishing peace in heaven with all sinners from outside of us, but you need it brought to you. You need it made yours. But is baptism not symbolic? Well, of course it is. But so is a gun. A gun symbolizes strength, power, violence, protection, and what have you. A gun serves as a symbol of all of this. But it does not, on that account, have no power. A gun shoots bullets. And baptism gives the forgiveness of sins and new birth. Baptism works and strengthens saving faith by washing sinners clean. As we prayed in our psalm, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Well, there's plenty of symbolism in baptism. Baptism does not, on that account, however, do nothing but symbolize. By Jesus' command, it saves us. It gives us a good conscience before God by giving us the only thing that can give a sinner a good conscience. It forgives forgiveness by applying Jesus' blood to us. What else will wash you? What else will cleanse you? And how else will you find the blood of Christ sprinkled upon you? Jesus promises that your baptism saves you by clothing you in his own righteous obedience rendered for you. As St. Paul says so clearly, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism is no mere symbol. But we should also consider what symbolism it certainly holds. Such baptizing with water signifies that we are washed from our old sins. But our old sins return, don't they? Sometimes in our memories, when we find ourselves feeling defiled by already long-forgiven guilt that still haunts us from time to time. Or else, old habits of weakness that we thought we had conquered. And they return, and we find ourselves running to the filth from which we were once cleansed. Sometimes it's brand new sin that we never were tempted by at all until we find ourselves neck deep in it. And so such baptizing with water also symbolizes and signifies something very important for us to remember. Baptism indicates what we must do every morning and before we go to bed at night that we should by daily contrition and repentance drown our old Adam with all sin and evil lusts so that our old nature might die daily to sin and that daily a new man come forth and arise to live before God in righteousness and purity forever. Baptism's symbol is, a, is powerful not because it is an external and visible sign of an internal and spiritual reality. No, baptism's symbol is powerful because it teaches us not to trust in what we produce at all. It teaches us to trust in Christ. It teaches us to find the power of God to save and the word that he speaks to us. It is the word of forgiveness that we daily recall that we are so often privileged to hear. It is a word that, connected to water, has made you God's very own child. It unites 
you to his eternal Son and guarantees you life in his name. We live our baptism daily in repentance and faith. Our baptism does not remove our sinful nature, but it forgives us. It does not turn us into people who don't need the gospel anymore, but it seals our hearts with God's promise that what we need most dearly comes from outside of us, and what we need most dearly is to know that God loves us dearly, that he washes our sins away as often as we ask him to and promises to be faithful to us, even when we have been unfaithful. What unites us to Jesus also unites us to one another, as brothers and sisters in Christ. As the Apostle says, you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So we don't divide the word from the water, we don't divide Christ from his church, we don't divide ourselves from the preaching of his word. We make use of it. It is our heritage. We approach God by invoking the name he placed upon us when we were baptized. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And with these words we draw near with true hearts to confess our transgressions unto God our Father, beseeching him of his immeasurable mercy to forgive us our sins for Jesus' sake. We call upon the Lord because the name of the Lord was first called upon us. And here is our outward sign of inner conviction, dear brothers and sisters. Not some ritual stripped of power, no. No, it is real power. It is that we love one another. It is that we gather with one another to receive the love our own hearts can never produce on their own. To receive the mercy that our hearts are never sufficiently committed to. And the life that we only ever too feebly grasp. But it comes to you, this love from outside of you, to each of you and to all of us. And it flows from God's heart to our own and from our hearts to all when we confess what our new birth has granted us. When we are united in truth, when we are united in love. And with this sacrifice, God is well pleased. In Jesus' name, amen.